welcome to our uh, newest episode of the Lebanese uh, Physicians Podcast. And today we will be talking about a volunteer outreach clinic at uh, the American University of Beirut Medical Center, uh, which is uh, the HEAL Clinic. Uh, it is a clinic that serves the migrant community in Lebanon and the LGBTQ community in the country. It is staffed by uh, medical students and faculty at the American University of Beirut Medical Center. And today with us, we have three medical students who have been uh, participants uh, and active members of the Heal Clinic. Alice Arishu, who is currently going into her med three year. That's a big, that's a big jump for her. And she did her BS in biology at AUB, and now she's third year medicine at the American University of Beirut. We have uh, Marwan Ghanem, who has done his BS and master's in microbiology and immunology at uh, McGill University, and now uh, just started his uh, fourth year medical school at the American University of Beirut. And we have uh, Mark Kerzel, who again did his BS in biology and now just started his fourth year uh, medical school at the American University of Beirut. And with us too, we've got uh, Dr. Muhammad Ali Jardali, who is chief uh, resident in the family medicine program at the American University of Beirut. And is supposed to be, I think, graduating in the next tomorrow. couple of weeks, tomorrow actually. And then he's going to be going into the real world afterwards we'll see how it does so welcome everyone to the, to the podcast thank you for having us of course and since uh, Muhammad Ali knows more about the heal clinic than I do I will let him start with the uh, first questions uh, on the clinic okay so I'll leave the floor to the medical students because they're the ones who are running uh, the heal clinic uh, if one of you can actually tell us what heal stands for and uh, tell us more about the work that you guys do Okay, so I'm going to start uh, in general about HEAL. So, uh, as you said, it's a student-run uh, health initiative that aims to basically offer marginalized communities and minorities in Lebanon free high-quality healthcare services through our clinics at uh, AUB. So, the name HEAL itself uh, is actually our four, stands for our four pillars, which is health, empowerment, advocacy, and learning. So um, first, the health part of uh, HEAL is basically the clinics themselves that we have every uh, every Saturday. We also aim to empower the communities that we work with by educating them about health-related issues. And this is mostly through the work of the health ed team that Alice will talk about mostly. Then there's uh, the advocacy which in which we advocate for those communities for providing good healthcare services for those communities in Lebanon. And that with the added benefit of actually providing AUB medical students with a meaningful uh, experience in clinical volunteering and management. And this is where all our pillars come together in our clinics. And how, how was the decision made to start this clinic? I'm sure somebody found a deficiency in the care of these patients and then decided to start it. So how was the decision made to start the clinic? Uh, okay, so here, uh, this, this it's the story of how HEAL started. So basically, it was uh, a medical student at AUB called uh, Lama Asi. She usually uh, went to uh, a migrant community center in Lebanon to help with English courses and other things, you know, but not medically related in the community there. And they used to ask her a lot. They knew that she was a medical student and they used to ask her a lot of questions that are medically related. And she used to um, see how with the deficiency that was present in uh, their, the care that was, that was given to those patients. Most of them did not go to doctors in 10 years. It was very minimal. So this is when she decided to come back and start HEAL. 
So uh, she went through the process along with some other of, uh, some of her friends. And uh, the first clinic actually started on in June 2017. And this is how uh, it started. So I think uh, the work that uh, Heal Clinic does is amazing. And I can attest to the part of it being really rewarding uh, on a personal level. So maybe you can tell us more about the marginalized communities that Heal Clinic serves. I know you serve migrant workers. And just for our listeners to know, there's around 250,000, so a quarter of a million of migrant workers in Lebanon. So it's a huge community and it's definitely underserved. So if maybe one of you can talk to us more about it. So uh, first of all, we all, I guess some of us know the dynamics between migrant workers and the Lebanese community here in Lebanon. And we know how uh, these are people who uh, basically don't have access to a lot of uh, you know, a lot of basic rights and a lot of uh, the needs that human beings need to, in, uh, in order to survive, basically. So uh, basically, uh, these are people who don't have access to primary health care in Lebanon. So uh, we used to see some um, uh, some migrant workers come to the outpatient clinics in uh, in the hospital. But I think that those were the fortunate minority minority who uh, were able to come with the people who they worked with, for example, or they worked for, uh, who uh, who were nice enough to bring them to uh, to the outpatient clinics. Otherwise, uh, a lot of our patients that show up again, as Mark said, uh, have never been to a doctor since they came to Lebanon, and they've been in Lebanon for be more than 15 years. Uh, so a lot of them will uh, will be suffering from, for example, hypertension or diabetes and not know that they have these problems. Uh, and this is basically the uh, context in which we work. So we offer primary healthcare services. So our students will, the students, my peers, not our students, will uh, will interview these patients and will uh, see what their needs are. We order labs for them that are um, basically we are partnered with a uh, lab uh, with a lab that's close to the university that uh, covers sort of they give us uh, a discounted cost for the labs. Uh, and then in case we need to provide any treatment for the uh, for the uh, patients, we try to provide them with treatments that we already have. So with medications that we've already collected or uh, in case they need some uh, a surgery or something, we will try to uh, fundraise in order to provide them with that as well. Uh, but yeah, these are people who are definitely really uh, who uh, completely fit the term marginalized community. So. Uh, basically, uh, a lot of them are not even allowed to leave their homes. A lot of them are not allowed to uh, socialize with other people around them. And it's a very unfortunate situation. Uh, the other part, the other community that we serve is, again, the LGBTQ community. So this is more uh, more recent. We started working with the Hilem, which is a... Uh, uh, so it's an NGO that uh, works uh, on uh, the human rights of the LGBTQ community in Lebanon and in the region, actually, not just in Lebanon. Uh, and so we've been working with them. Uh, we started talking to them two years ago and approximately uh, a year ago, we started uh, organizing these uh, the clinics for the LGBTQ, LGBT community. And what's nice about this part of the um, 
of the clinic is that Helm is uh, providing, uh, so is funding uh, all of the labs and the imaging that their beneficiaries uh, need from us. So the patients come directly through them. And within the, uh, sorry, just one more thing, but within the uh, LGBTQ community, uh, what we focus on mostly is transgendered individuals because they are, if you want, the most marginalized within the community that's already very marginalized in Lebanon. So uh, a lot of people, most people in Lebanon don't even know that we have a transgendered community. Uh, and so this is because they're afraid to even go outside because if they go out for a walk, they're at risk of getting beaten or getting put in jail for no reason. So, uh, yeah, so that's why we, uh, we also decided that uh, to uh, cover, so to have clinics for them as well. Yeah, I have, I have two questions actually to follow, to follow this. One is, no, so the migrant workers, just for people to know, because not everybody knows, so the migrant workers in Lebanon, basically to this point are basically they can be stuck in the house, their employers can decide not to let them leave the house and they don't have health insurance, right? They don't buy them health insurance as part of their work rights, right? Migrant workers in Lebanon are organized under something called the kafala system. And the kafala system is really an oppressive system. Those migrant workers are actually excluded from the Lebanese labor laws. So they are an entity by itself. They don't have any regulation for their minimum wage, for their basic rights, for their health rights, even their passports. So it's a really outdated and oppressive system that borderlines on slavery, for lack of a better word. And then there is a lot of NGOs in Lebanon now trying to push for an end to the Kathala system. Uh, so, for, so far, I think with some success, right, but mostly unsuccessful uh, at this point. Definitely. And with the collapse of the financial economic sector in Lebanon, a lot of those migrant workers are either leaving the country, but some of them don't have the proper and legal paperwork. So right now they're even pushed further into further marginalization and they're losing what little rights they already had under the previous system. So right. they find themselves in a precarious situation that's even worse and worse. And then for the LGBTQ community, I know Helm has been pushing also for laws to, to legalize this. And there has been a couple of laws, right, that were pushed through, but still the community is marginalized at this point. Am I correct? As, as far as I know, there's only been one Law. or two legal cases of gender and sex reassignment that was approved by a judge. So those were like isolated incidents by the law, but the law itself wasn't changed. But the judges reinterpreted the law to provide legal venue for the trans community. But there's only been literally one or two cases, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. Right, and because if you're, if you're part of the trans community at this point, you could be potentially arrested. Yes, and that's the least of, uh, sorry. <laughs> and I think that's, uh, you know, just the tip of the iceberg to be arrested as a transgendered individual. So you could be, again, as I said before, you could be just beaten up for walking outside, uh, sexually assaulted, verbally assaulted, and any. Uh, you know, anything down the line, it's, it's really horrible. Okay. And, and so your clinic, your clinic currently, the HIV clinic serves these marginalized communities. And now we know why they are marginalized. 
But it's not only medical care that you provide, you also provide health education, right? So Alice, can you tell us a bit about the health education that you provide for this, these communities? Yes, of course. So basically health education started from the idea that it wasn't just enough to diagnose patients, but it was just as valuable to educate them and empower them with that knowledge about their health and about health in general, so that they can also empower their communities with that acquired knowledge. So basically what happens usually, the main, the main part of our work is during the clinics. So we see patients as health education during the time the patient is waiting to see the attending. And so we talk to them about their chief complaint, what they are here for. And if it's something that's not really worth talking about too much, maybe it's just pain in the leg, for example, and the attending will take care of it. We can tackle important topics like living a healthy lifestyle. If it's a woman, we discuss self-breast exam, why it's important to do it regularly. We give them awareness about that and we notice the engagement on these topics. Uh, basically what we use also as health education is brochures that our volunteers have made throughout the years. The work has started in 2018 and since then we've been making many brochures on different topics. So we can hand them these brochures that are mainly in pictures. And so, for example, for a self-breast exam, they can have diagrams showing them what to do and they can take them with them, keep it in their mind and maybe tell their friends about it, which really helps because they usually live in communities also. So this is one important aspect of our job. And we don't just focus on physical health, but also on mental health. So recently we collaborated with the psychiatry department at AUBMC and we formed brochures on mental health topics like depression, anxiety, stress management, how to cope with trauma after the Beirut blast specifically. So we hand them these brochures and we discuss all these topics with them in the clinic. So the clinic becomes a safe space for them to talk. It doesn't just involve talking about their health and giving them a didactic lecture about why you should eat right. It mainly involves listening to them, understanding their concerns, seeing what they actually understand, what they need to know. And when it comes to anything related to mental health, we've noticed that most of the patients really see our room as health education as a safe space to talk. And it's been noticeable with both communities. So for example, to build on what we were saying about the migrant community, a lot of them come with a huge depression and especially with these conditions because they can't go back to their countries. And so what happens is that they end up talking to us about how their employers used to abuse them with details. Sometimes they, they just want someone to talk to about these issues and they're happy that we are listening. And they tell us how, for example, their employers from who they, whom they fled stole their passport and their telephone so they cannot contact their families and they cannot return back to their homes. And this is their main issue. You'd see a mother, she has one kid and she can't talk to him. She cannot even go back to see him. It's really horrible. When it comes to the LGBTQ community, what really makes a difference, I feel, is how we give them the safe space to just exist without any discrimination, without the danger that comes from society, the Lebanese society as a whole. Um, we use the proper pronouns, the, we have the proper training in all situations to properly address them. We've received training from Helm. We've done many trainings to just 
understand how to properly communicate with these patients. And a doctor from ADMC, Dr. Beatrice Khater, made a training video that all people who will attend the clinic will have to watch. Now, I will also just elaborate on another aspect of our work as health education, and then I can go back to this in further questions. But what we also do is we post the brochures online, and we also make videos that we post online, which started with the COVID era. We started by doing a live COVID session on how to take COVID precautions. And this is how our online work started when the Heal Clinic was halted. So we do videos and brochures and we post them online to share them with the MCC and the LGBTQ community of Halim. And lastly, the main uh, other part of our work is the classes we give to the MCC community at their own center. And recently we've been giving uh, particularly COVID the vaccination sessions. So we educate them on COVID vaccines and we tackle any questions that they may have, any sort of weird thing they heard from the internet that they have concerns about. So that's mainly it. And I can go into the details further later. I mean, this is great. All the work that you are doing at the Heal Clinic is just amazing. Uh, and I really want to stress on the primary care and on the prevention part that Heal really focuses on, because this isn't just a clinic where you come for your common cold or for your blood pressure or depression. It's really primary care. It's really focused on prevention. So maybe this would be like a good segue for Marwan to talk to us more about like the how you expanded your services recently. And what was it specifically about the LGBTQ community and the trans community in particular? What was missing in the scene in Lebanon in terms of care for this marginalized community? I guess uh, in Lebanon, there are a lot of uh, sexual health clinics that offer basically uh, your day-to-day -day, uh, STI screenings. Your, the, there, are, there are HIV clinics. Uh, there are people specialized in, uh, in multiple areas of sort of uh, sexual health. But this, these are the only places where, uh, where the LGBTQ communities, uh, where people who, co who come from the LGBTQ community uh, feel safe. So basically, uh, most of the things that they, they have access to are sexual health, right? But we all know that this is just a very small part of uh, health in general. So uh, again, it's a lot like the uh, migrant worker community. So a lot of the people that come to us haven't been to see a doctor in ages. Uh, so they come in, uh, some of them are, uh, you know, older individuals who need screenings, uh, who need, for example, colonoscopy or, uh, you know, whatever screening is age appropriate or whatever screening is appropriate for uh, basically uh, the person in front of us. Or uh, other people will come in with, you know, leg pain or, or just your day-to-day uh, -day chief complaints. And then other people will come in with literally uh, with not knowing what, what they have, but just feeling uh, unhealthy. And then they turn out to have diabetes. They turn out to have hypertension. They turn out to have uh, CAD or, you know, a, a lot of these things that they, that, are not apparent to the person who is not uh, trained in, in the field. So uh, this is what we focus on. So we focus on these things mostly. We send, uh, we try to screen as best uh, as our uh, capabilities. Uh, and we try to uh, 
basically if a person turns out to have diabetes, we try to educate them in terms of how they have to change their lifestyle or maybe change their lifestyle uh, in order to prevent diabetes from, uh, in order to prevent them from having diabetes, for example. As well, we, we also, uh, so we try to provide as many medications as possible for our, uh, for our patients. But this is a, one major issue that we have right now is chronic medications. For example, again, we're talking about diabetes, hypertension, and to prevent the, the uh, sort of complications that these might have uh, later on. So uh, we try to provide as much medication as possible to the patients, but at some point, uh, we sort of reach a roadblock where we can't provide more. And this is a sort of issue that we're dealing with right now is how to have access to medication that, uh, you know, as of recently, a lot of the medication that we used to have access to in Lebanon, we no longer have in Lebanon. Uh, and uh, financially, we're sort of struggling with how to deal with these more long-term problems that the patients might be having. Um, in the acute setting, if someone has leg pain, for example, we don't have a problem giving them the uh, medication that they need uh, acutely, you know, to manage their leg pain, to manage uh, whatever it is that they're suffering from acutely, or antibiotics, for example, or stuff like that. But on a chronic level, this is where we have roadblocks uh, that we uh, need to deal with. And this is what we're trying to figure out next. We're also working actually on finding a way to refer patients to psychiatry when we see them in health education or even the clinical volunteer or the attending sees them and they are presenting with depression or suicidal ideation. And it's a real challenge because to actually admit them to UBMC, it's expensive and we lack so far the funding to cover that. So we're working currently on finding a way to refer them to other psychologists that may be working for free or organizations that have these psychologists. It's a work in progress. Alison, Mark, maybe can you give us examples of like specific examples of patients, maybe one a migrant worker, one an LGBTQ uh, patient who came over and, and you helped? Without, of course, without mentioning any names, for sure. And there is actually one patient that I have in mind. So recently we did a Women's Health Day uh, back in March, and it was uh, dedicated for seeing multiple women, doing pap smears for them, etc. And also there was an entire floor where they we had different uh, stations that, as health education, we did them in collaboration with the OBGYN interest group in AUBMC. So they tackled topics like menstruation, safe sex, self-breast exam. And one of the patients in the self-breast exam uh, uh, room, she was educated on how to do it properly. And we later found out that she found a lump and she went to see a doctor and now she's going to have a surgery very soon. And it's really gratifying how we could have, we actually managed to help her find this, find this diagnosis and get the help she needs. So this is one example I have in mind. There are multiple examples of migrant workers or uh, Helen patients that present and they have severe depression. I think 
there is only, for example, one person that comes to mind. He was an LGBTQ community member and he was presenting with severe depression and uh, suicidal ideation. And we managed to refer him to a psychologist with the help of one of our volunteers, actually, who did all the work. And it's um, quite gratifying to find that we managed to accompany this person during that day to properly assess the how much he had depression, suicidalization, and to find out that he actually was seriously planning on ending his life and to f give him the care that he needed. And this shows how much what we do is actually valuable to the patients. And it's, uh, it's, it's really amazing. And, and, how, and how do you, one more question for you is, how do you guys advertise the clinic? So I bet now it's more like word of mouth that people come over, right? And hear about it. Uh, yes, of course, there is word of mouth is one of uh, the ways, but we have uh, Helm that actually uh, refers patients to us when it comes to the uh, LGBTQ uh, community and uh, the work with Helm and HEAL together. And then there's uh, for the migrant workers, uh, we, there was MCC in the beginning, and then there's the word of mouth, the flyers that used to be uh, given. And so... That's uh, that's mostly it. And we also have a uh, Facebook page and an Instagram account uh, where we post everything. You know, we post everything there, basically. We've been actually trying to expand our reach, which is why uh, thank you so much for inviting us uh, to sort of spread the word. Uh, it's very kind of you. Yeah, you definitely have multiple pipelines for the different uh, populations that you're serving. And they all, uh, all roads uh, lead to Heal Clinic. I guess, and I'm really glad to hear about the positive experiences you're able to make on a one-to-one -one basis and on a community basis. I know Marwan talked a little bit about the problems with finding medications, but uh, maybe Mark can talk to us a little bit about how you've adjusted to the multiple crises uh, affecting Lebanon. I know also Alice talked about uh, transitioning more to the health education online. So we've kind of tackled this, but Mark, if you wanna go into more details. Yes, of course. So uh, first of all, uh, the, there are two crises we're facing, ma major crises, which is the economic crisis and the COVID, the, the pandemic. So when it comes to the pandemic, at first we had a kind of had a small problem with the open, continuing the clinic. Uh, but then uh, what we did is actually we did two things. We started telehealth uh, for uh, patients who, who we could follow up with over the phone. And this actually helped us a lot. We actually were able to follow up with a lot of patients. And another thing we did was after trying to reopen the clinic, we were able to do so by decreasing the number of patients in, in one clinic. But at the same time, we used to space out the patients, like have a set number of patients come at 8.30 and other, one, other patients come at 10. So we used to space it out more till noon, actually. Uh, we just finish at 2.30. So this helped us a lot uh, when it comes to uh, COVID and decreasing the amount of uh, patients in the clinic at the same time. Now, when it comes to the economic crisis, I think we're still having problems uh, here because uh, the, the funding is not, you know, the, we used to do fundraisers live in front of, uh, at AUB, in front of SML, our library, to go to the hospital for fundraising, for medications, for, to have drives uh, and so on. But this stopped for a while and it was a problem to start again. And in addition to the crisis itself, which uh, made it harder for uh, people in Lebanon to donate, 
So all of this made the financial crisis maybe a bigger problem for us. But I think that this is all I can say about those two crises. I can't think of anything else. I don't know if anyone has something to say. Yeah, I'd just like to add uh, one thing about uh, the funding. So basically, at least for, for the patients who are referred to us from Helm, we, uh, so Helm has been able to cover them financially in terms of labs and in terms of imaging. And what we do is for all patients, Helm and the migrant workers, uh, we have been, uh, we have sort of uh, been trying to find the uh, least expensive imaging centers and least expensive lab centers to, uh, or labs to help us with our costs. So basically a lot of, uh, so we, uh, a specific lab in mind, MAP Lab, which is right next to uh, the university, has been able to give us uh, uh, any uh, kind of study or a lot of different types of studies that we, we might need for a, a fraction of the cost, which has really helped. So, so to make up for some of the lost funding, I guess, how can people from uh, outside Lebanon help with this? So I think uh, as of now, I mean, ideally, we would like to ask people if they can, of course, to donate any small amount of money that they would be willing to help us with. Because uh, we all know, or basically some of us at least know, the cost of the uh, Lebanese pound. So if you donate one dollar, it would <laughs> it would actually uh, help a lot in terms of the Lebanese currency. Uh, however. Right now, we do not have that option open as of yet because we're still working on sort of uh, opening a bank account where we can uh, accommodate the funds that are coming in. Because as you know, we also have a banking crisis in Lebanon. Uh, so this has been a challenge. Other things that come to mind is if people anywhere, I mean, in Lebanon or outside of Lebanon, if anyone has you know, spare medications that they no longer use, uh, or that are not expired, obviously, uh, that they can just let go of. We always uh, open our doors to any donations that people might be uh, willing to give us. Uh, of course, anything that hasn't been compromised or. And otherwise, uh, just spreading the word about the clinic is also a very helpful means because at some point we're going to want to start asking or asking people if they would like to donate. But as I said, where we, we have a roadblock there. And, and, and the, the, the other issue is, I guess, can you bring in spare medications? Probably you can bring small numbers, but you cannot bring big numbers because you would probably be stopped at the port of entry, right? Uh, yeah, that is true. I mean, uh, uh, unfortunately. Now, I, I know that during, for example, uh, the aftermath of the Lebanese, of uh, the explosion that happened in Beirut last year, uh, there are a lot of people who actually uh, started uh, so uh, doing these drives elsewhere, so in France and the UK and Canada, and they would bring the medication with them. I'm not sure how legally that works right now because we're in a much, quote unquote, more stable situation. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure. We're open to suggestions, actually, if any of our listeners are uh, would like to suggest ways that they can help because uh, we're still in the works, actually. We, we are not 100% in work. Regarding the drives, if I'm not mistaken, you can get a permit from the MOPH, the Ministry of Public Health, and they won't give you an issue at the airport. So uh, it, it, it can be arranged. 
So that would be something that we'll be working on soon. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so this, guys, you, this is like amazing work that you're doing. I'm so happy to hear about all the initiatives you're taking. And I guess I want to ask you about like what kind of support you've been having and how important has mentorship been to you at Heal Clinic? Mentorship at our clinic uh, actually is something that's very important. It's it's and one of our pillars is learning. So uh, when it comes to mentorship, I think uh, Marwan once told me there's several uh, uh, levels or uh, different uh, types, if you want, of mentorship that we uh, actually uh, work on. So first of all, there's the mentorship when it comes to uh, the awareness on how to uh, deal with and how to uh, address the people, uh, people that are coming to our clinic, specifically uh, the LGBTQ community. And this is something very important, I think, uh, to make them feel safe, to make them feel uh, more welcome. And so that uh, it's, it's much, uh, they, they feel better when they're uh, safer when they're here. Uh, another thing when it comes to mentorship is the mentorship from the attending to the clinical students that happens after every encounter. After the student sees the patient, you have the attending that basically goes through the case with the student, then gives the final verdict if you want, and sees the patient if need be. So this is very important, I think. And another type of mentorship is between the clinical volunteer and the preclinical volunteer that's with him in the clinic. So the med three or four student always has a med one or med two student shadowing them and learning about the experience, about the case itself. So I think this is uh, those three are the major uh, points I wanted to talk about. Excellent. And any any closing remarks from uh, from you from uh, from anyone? We would just, again, like to reiterate how thankful we are that you invited us for today. Uh, we would also just like to uh, give a shout out to all of the residents and attendings who have been kind enough to uh, to join our clinic and to come and help out for, you know, free of charge and just out of the uh, goodness of their hearts. So that's always amazing to see. Uh, and we just, you know, thank you. That's it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you, everyone, for being uh, with us today. I think it was a, a good episode discussing uh, the Heal Clinic, uh, the communities it serves right now, uh, which are very important communities, uh, I think, and are very marginalized communities at this point. And I think they are not, it's not, it's, it's not only in Lebanon, but I think in a lot of other countries, uh, these communities are marginalized. And I think there has to be laws uh, that should be coming up to change the situation of these people because they also have uh, the same rights as any other uh, person. And I hope this will uh, happen soon uh, in Lebanon uh, at this point. So uh, thanks to you all for all the work that you do. And hopefully we will, we will uh, ask our listeners to uh, give us ideas on uh, fundraising for the clinic and, and how to help out with that. I think it's just great to have the advocacy part of it. I think it's very uplifting to have medical students run a free clinic. And the intersectionality of human rights and advocacy is just something to think about, you know, just leaving this episode, just thinking about how all of this intersects and how we're building a grassroots movement through small acts of kindness and small acts of volunteering on Saturdays. Uh, that I think like this is building a movement for the future generation of doctors in Lebanon. It's very heartwarming. 
Yep, I agree 100%. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you so much.